So on March 1st, a Brain Awareness Campaign promo episode featuring graduate student Alex Grizel. In honor of Brain Awareness Week, hosted by the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, we will be releasing an episode each day this week with a guest. We will be interviewing someone on a specific topic within neuroscience. For our first episode, we have Dr. Rebecca Prosser with us. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Uh, so Dr. Prosser, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. So what do you do here at uh, University of Tennessee and what is your main focus of research? So I am a professor in the Department of Biochemistry and Cellular and Molecular Biology. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also the director of the Neuronet Research Center. So that stands for the Neuroscience Network of East Tennessee. Um, so those are my official titles. Right. My research is focused on circadian rhythms, which are just the daily rhythms that, that we experience in our bodies every day. We're most familiar with the sleep-wake cycle, but there's rhythms in essentially all aspects of our behavior and physiology. Mm -hmm. And they're controlled by a clock in the brain that keeps 24-hour time. So my research is focused on how that clock um, stay synchronized with the environment mm -hmm. and you know what are the different signals that can affect its activity as well as looking at how other things like drugs of abuse or stress or other things can affect the circadian clock. Awesome yeah that sounds really interesting. Um, so you, you just mentioned like what circadian rhythm was so um, in in relation to sleep cycles what are some other examples of the cycles that uh, can be controlled by different circadian rhythms? So um, other rhythms that we might be less familiar with going on is our body has a temperature rhythm. So your temperature is higher in the day than it is at night. Mm -hmm. um, your heart rate has a rhythm that's higher in the day versus the night. Um, most of your hormones have rhythms that um, have peaks at various times across the day, either the day when you're going to sleep or in the middle of the night. Um, so, as I said, pretty much everything that's going on in your body and how you are behaving has a connection with the, the circadian clock in your brain. So you briefly mentioned uh, hormones. So what other molecules are you looking at in your research um, in relation to circadian rhythm? So in terms of regulating the clock, um, the primary neurotransmitter in the brain that is doing that is glutamate and that is signaling when there is light stimulation to the clock. So the clock gets is primarily synchronized to the environment by the light-dark cycle, the sun going up and down. When the sun goes up, when there's light, that causes the release of a neurotransmitter glutamate that causes a shift in the clock to maintain its proper synchronization. Uh, but there's lots of intracellular and extracellular events that are associated with that release of glutamate that determine whether it's going to cause a phase advance, a phase delay, or no effect at all on the clock. Okay. All right. So regarding alcohol and stress, uh, how can that play a factor into the uh, regulation of a person's rhythm? Okay. Well, it turns out that alcohol affects everything, really, in mm -hmm. your brain. Right. Because it has two dominant effects. One is it inhibits the signaling of glutamate, which I just mentioned, mm -hmm. but it also enhances the signaling of another neurotransmitter called GABA. And GABA and glutamate are the two primary neurotransmitters throughout the brain. Mm -hmm. So alcohol will affect just about everything going on in the brain. What we've shown is that alcohol will directly inhibit that ability of light or glutamate 
to maintain uh, proper synchronization of the clock. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that is by inhibiting glutamate. It's probably some associated with it enhancing GABA signaling, but we haven't looked at that. Mm -hmm. That's the immediate effect of, of alcohol. But there's another effect that occurs with regular consumption of alcohol, which is called tolerance. Mm -hmm. um, so as you have alcohol very frequently, your body adapts to that, and it decreases its sensitivity to these effects of alcohol in the brain. Mm -hmm. And we've shown that that uh, tolerance or desensitization occurs within the clock as well. And so if you, these are studies we've done on mice, not on humans. Mm -hmm. But if you allow the mice to consume alcohol for varying amounts of time, they become desensitized to it. So the ability of alcohol to inhibit the clock decreases over time. And again, we're looking at what the cellular mechanisms of those changes are. Explain a little bit more about the electrophysical recording of the suprachiasmatic nucleus. You're right that we are looking at the clock, monitoring the clock, uh, using electrophysiology. So um, I actually, some of our work is done in my lab using an in vitro or out of the body um, preparation. And most of this work is then collaborating with other labs that are looking at the behavior of the animals. So what we are doing is we can actually take the SEN or the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is where the circadian clock is located in the brain, we can take it out in a slice of brain tissue and maintain it in vitro in a chamber that keeps it warm and oxygenated and, and given glucose and everything to keep it alive. Mm -hmm. We can keep it going for a couple of days. And that allows us to apply chemicals directly to the clock and then look at how that's affecting the phase of the clock. Um, which to me is just super awesome that yeah, you can actually have a, a piece of the brain maintaining 24-hour rhythms completely separate from the animal. Yeah. Um, so we can apply glutamate or alcohol or any other uh, compound to these brain slices and look and see how it's shifting the clock. Now, how are we looking at the clock? It turns out that the neurons in the SCN, in the clock area, um, are firing their uh, act action potentials, their electrical signals, that um, they do this spontaneously, but the rate that they are firing these action potentials varies like, over the 24-hour day. So they are most active during the daytime, and they are least active at night. And if we do nothing to the brain slices, we know pretty much when that peak in neuronal activity is going to occur, it's right in the middle of the daytime. And so we are monitoring the action potentials these neurons are generating to determine what time the SCN as a whole says it is. Mm -hmm. And if we give a treatment to the slice to look to see if it's phase shifting the clock, we can see whether that rhythm in neuronal activity is advanced by several hours or delayed by several hours to determine whether we have shifted the clock. I'm still in awe of the fact that you can still take just a slice of the brain and keep it um, essentially just alive away from the rest of the cortex from the organism it's just man that's just really cool <laughs> yeah when we I mean we found out about that back when I was a graduate student and uh -huh. to me that just opened up so many possibilities of how we can study how mm -hmm. the clock actually works because yeah. you're not having to have in, do injections in the animal 
or get the animal to consume something or wonder if you do give an injection, how much of that is getting into the brain and into the specific area of the brain and how long it's there before it gets metabolized and all of these issues which you have to be concerned about when you're working with whole animals. We could just bypass that and look directly at what's happening in the clock itself. Wow. All right, um, so this is going slightly away from all of the different um, research um, methods that we just talked about, but how did you get involved with research with the chicane Like what inspired you to get involved with this? So as an undergraduate, um, I was interested in behavior mm -hmm. and I actually did something very similar to what they do with sco college scholars here. I created my own major and I put together courses in biology and psychology and anthropology, anything I could find that had to do with behavior. Mm -hmm. And when it came to applying to graduate school, neuroscience was the most obvious direction to go with that. And this was very early on in when there were graduate programs in neuro, neuroscience. Um, the, the lab I joined as a graduate student uh, was looking at the regulation of body temperature, mm -hmm. but they had recently gotten into looking at this circadian rhythm in body temperature and trying to figure out what parts of the hypothalamus were regulating different aspects of the body temperature rhythm. And my project got to be looking to see whether in fact this SCN, the circadian, what was thought at the time to be the circadian clock, did it control the body temperature rhythm just like the activity and drinking rhythms that had been done before. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a lot of work on rats, trying to lesion this very, very, very small area of the brain and monitor their different rhythms to see if we could eliminate the, the body temperature rhythm, which was a long process. And we were getting some really good data, but I found that I was asking questions of myself of how this thing works, mm -hmm. as opposed to, is this the area it's located in? Yeah. And you couldn't really do that using the whole rats. Um, meanwhile, another lab in a different department, I was in the psychology department, there was a department of um, physiology and biophysics, there was a lab there who was pioneering this brain slice technique mm -hmm. with the SCN. Uh, the graduate student who was doing that decided he didn't want to continue it after he had perfected the technique and another faculty member started doing it and I started working with her. So I shifted labs, I shifted departments um, in order to go to a, a model system that really was going to be amenable to answering some of the questions I was interested in. And I've pretty much stuck with it ever since. <laughs> That's exciting though. Okay, so if someone wanted to go into the field of researching circadian rhythms, um, what would be their options or what steps would they need to take to um, pursue this goal? It would really depend on what aspects of circadian rhythms they wanted to study. Mm -hmm. It's a very broad field and it goes from everyone going from looking at the specific genes and the molecular mechanisms that are controlling this 24-hour rhythm all the way up through uh, people going out into the field, doing field work and looking at circadian rhythms of animals, even looking at circadian rhythms of individuals in different environments and how, for example, our rhythms are different if we are in the mountains of Colorado camping 
versus in the middle of the city where we have all the lights and noise and everything else. Mm -hmm. So you can be studying circadian rhythms coming from many, many different disciplines. Mm -hmm. uh, you would need to obviously read and, and learn about the circadian rhythms, find out what different departments at different universities have individuals doing circadian rhythm work or doing work that could be applied to circadian rhythms. They may not be um, studying circadian rhythms themselves, but they might be using electrophysiology or uh, molecular biology or some other techniques that could be applied to circadian rhythms, depending on what type of questions you want to answer. So it's one of these things where you can really get into it from lots of different directions, um, using lots of different techniques, and you just want to do a little bit of research to figure out where you want to do it. Could you tell us a little bit about of, um, what exactly is going on in the neuroscience field around campus right now? That's a really cool question because there is so much going on with neuroscience here across almost every college on, on campus. So this is obviously the Brain Awareness Month or the Brain Awareness Campaign that graduate students and undergraduate students are leading, leading the efforts on in March going into April. Um, but we and the, the Neuronet Research Center have been in the last five years uh, working to increase communication, collaborations, uh, between faculty across all aspects of the campus. So we have over a hundred faculty members on our email list, whether they're in College of Engineering, Arts and Sciences, Social Work, College of Nursing, um, every aspect. And we're even starting now to talk to faculty in architecture, in English, um, in art, because these are areas that are connected to neuroscience as well. Mm -hmm. we, are, we have been supporting seed grants for collaborative research projects, have brown bag seminars, we've been doing workshops and various training activities. We are connecting with individuals at the medical center, with the Pat Summit Clinic, with the Brain and Spine Institute, with the Cole Neuroscience Center there. Mm -hmm. There's, there are scientists at ORNL as well who are interested in neuroscience. And what we're trying to do is open those lines of dialogue, try to get people connected with somebody else that they wouldn't have necessarily known. We're just doing research related to something they're interested in and enhance the, that research potential. At the same time, we're strengthening the graduate and undergraduate neuroscience education. So the interdisciplinary major in neuroscience at the undergraduate level was started about five years ago. It's going to be transitioning to its own major outside of the interdisciplinary program starting this fall, we hope. <laughs> and it's got over 350 majors in it right now. It is a huge major. We're starting a graduate minor in neuroscience that Graduate students, regardless of what department they're in, they're getting their master's or their PhD, they can add this minor onto their degree and really show what sorts of activities and research they're involved in in graduate school. Mm -hmm. So we are super excited about what's going on with neuroscience and how much it's grown in the last few years and hopefully how it's gonna continue growing going into the future. 
So all of these big pushes with connecting to different um, majors on campus, different organizations outside of campus, and um, pushing for neuroscience to be its own major, and then the, the graduate minor, what has, I guess, caused this huge push and how it's all happening? This big, I guess, it's almost like a movement, it feels like. It, it is a movement. It actually started, uh, the, the first thing that happened, several things happened early on to get all of these things started. One was we got a new dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, Terry Lee, who came in a new dean. She happens to be a neuroscientist, mm-hmm. a circadian biologist, even better. And, <laughs> even better. And so she was very supportive of anything that could enhance neuroscience on campus. At the same time, there were several very active undergraduates um, in the College Scholar Program who had an interest in neuroscience, and they said, you guys need to start an undergraduate major in neuroscience. And they really pushed to do that, and they started the Advancement for Neuro- of Neuroscience Club to get interest growing. Um, and the other thing that was um, quite sad, but it did spur things on, was when Pat Summit announced that she had Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And that really raised awareness across campus and the community about Alzheimer's, how it can affect anybody at any age. Mm-hmm. And there was so much that we needed to do to figure out how do you diagnose Alzheimer's. What are the causes in the brain that are changing uh, with Alzheimer's or other dementias, and how can we treat it? These are all questions we're still working on very hard, but having someone like Pat Summit with the courage to come out and say early on in her diagnosis that that she had Alzheimer's and it wasn't going to stop her, uh, I think was another really big impetus to get science, neuroscience work going on campus. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that is really awesome. Okay. Um, I think that's all we have. Uh, so, yeah. So thank you so much for um, tuning in. And um, thank, uh, we want to thank uh, Dr. Prosser again for just, you know, taking some time to talk to us about, you know, what she does, all this amazing stuff that's going on around campus and in the community uh, here in East Tennessee. So, um, yeah, definitely tune in for the rest of the uh, Brain Awareness Week episodes that we will be releasing each day, and we hope to see you again soon.